Well, shalom, everybody who's watching online, and shalom to everybody who is here within the study. Um, I don't know if it shows you guys' names on the live stream, so uh, everybody just go ahead and introduce yourselves and all that stuff so people know who's speaking and all that good stuff. I'm Daniel Bertels. All right. I'm Kathleen. Kristen Amanda Dorton here. Excellent. It looks like we got Julie up there as well. Hi, I'm Julie. Excellent. Excellent. Well, we'll go ahead and uh, get started. Uh, let me go ahead and start us out in prayer here. Blessed are you, Hashem, our God, Master of the universe, who has sanctified us in the words of your Torah. I ask, Father, that you be with each and every single one of us here today as we go and we study Parshas Vayera. And I ask that you uh, be with us throughout our week as it is that uh, we go and apply the things that it is that we have learned here today, not only from this study, but also for the individuals watching online who have their own congregations and so on and so forth. Help us, Father, to uh, become closer to you and to be able to sanctify your name in every single way. We ask these things. Pray these things in Yeshua's holy name. Amen. All right. So uh, one of the things that's a little bit different here today is, uh, as many who know, are we're using a different server, and also with that, we um, we uh, don't uh, uh, the way of doing slides is going to be very difficult. So basically, the slides are going to be in the on-demand and all that stuff. So for those who uh, are used to the slides and all that stuff, you're going to want to do the on-demand. I'm going to edit those in tonight um, and have the on-demand up on Vimeo and YouTube as well as iTunes tomorrow. So um, we should have all of that and all that stuff. So if you're really, you know, upset about not having slides, hey, it's, you know, not a big deal. Um, you guys can still get those tomorrow. Um, so... Uh, some of these things may be brought out a little bit better uh, in that way, but however, we're going to do our best. And so we always start out with the Semitic language segment of the program. And one of the things that we're going to be looking at is from starting um, in verse or chapter 4, verse 21, we see every time that Hashem goes and hardens the heart or Pharaoh himself hardens his own heart, as well, we see that different language is used um, each time. And so if we go to verse 21, it says, I will harden, and the word there is chazach, okay, his heart. Um, and we see that God is speaking there. And uh, the word chazach, what, uh, what does that mean, anybody? I think of chazach. Which is uh, being strong or strengthened. That is correct. That is correct. And, we, and when is it that we recite that phrase? At the com conclusion or once we've completed a um, book of the Torah. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, if we go to verse or chapter seven, verse three, we have God going and speaking. And God was speaking in the first one as well. It says he will he will chazach or strengthen literally his heart. If we go to chapter seven, verse three, he says, I will harden Kasha Pharaoh's heart. And which uh, literally means to make severe or difficult. And so that's what it means there. In chapter 7, verse 13, it says Pharaoh's heart will, will, was chazach. It was hardened. Now, the subject matter here is, that, is um, ambiguous here, which is different from God going and speaking to that Aparo. In 7.14, it says that Pharaoh's heart is chaved, which is stubborn. And that as well is uh is 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 ambiguous as well and chaved means heavy or stubborn then when we go to chapter 7 verse 22 it says pharaoh's heart was chazach again strengthened and that was um uh was uh ambiguous as well uh chapter 8 verse 15 pharaoh hardened chaved his heart Meaning, once again, heavy and stubborn. Now, Pharaoh did this to himself here. Then it has, in chapter 8, verse 19, Pharaoh's heart was chazach, yet again, strengthened. Then in eight, chapter 8, verse 32, it says, Pharaoh's heart was kaved. Then in chapter 9, verse 7, the heart of Pharaoh was kaved. And so we, and there's several other ones that we can look at here, but we see this kind of going back and forth here between these concepts. Does anybody want to go and uh, give a little bit of analysis of what it is that they think that this means? I always looked at it as, as Pharaoh started with his heart hardened, and after he got to a point, then he was at a point of no return, and God said, that's it. And okay. he ended up hardening his heart. Okay. Anybody else? I have to agree with that. Say that again. And so I would have to agree with Daniel's assertion. That's kind of uh, where I take it. Absolutely, and actually, Daniel's very, very correct on this. You know, uh, what we what we have here, we got to understand who who Paro was. First of all, throughout this entire Torah portion, we see that Paro is trying to assert himself as not only the God of Egypt, but also the one who, you know, is in control of the gods of Egypt. We see this, you know, in terms of the whole thing with, you know, turning the rod into a snake and all of these things, all mm. of these, yeah. uh, uh, all of these plagues and all this other stuff that, that, that Paro's, you know, individuals were also able to go in and do as well. And so this is a huge part of this. Now, in terms of this, we have something from the Medrash Tachuma, which says, since the first five of the ten plagues had no effect on Paro and did not move him to release Israel, the Holy One, blessed be he, said, from now on, even if he agrees to release them, I will accept it. That is what it says regarding the first five plagues, 
and the and the Lord hardened Paro's heart, and that's from Medrash Tacoma Vayera three. And so, yeah, absolutely, you guys are are directly in line with what it is that the sage just said in in terms of this. Well, Any, I've got something that Rambam said that I think is pretty cool, and he sure. said God's hardening of Pharaoh's heart was clearly a punishment for previous sins. However, the hardening of Pharaoh's heart may have occurred at two different points. Before the plague started, uh, this would have been a, a punishment for his justified enslavement of the Jewish people, or God only hardened Pharaoh's heart after the first five plagues as a punishment for ignoring his requests. Thus, at this point, God says, I will, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. He is merely informing Moshe about a future event. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Absolutely. And, and, and you know, to, to think about on that, what could that future event actually be? Probably the death of his firstborn son and uh, their, their uh, deity, uh, the lamb. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. But also at the, at, the, at, at the same time, we see that things tend to repeat themselves rather, uh, you know, rather often. And so if we take that concept um, in which it is, did you say it was Rashi or the Rambam that said that, said that by the way? Rambam. The Rambam? Okay. Yeah. Now, we take that concept from the Rambam, and we go when we look at it, and we see how it is that um, it even says that, you know, that some of the Jewish people will be blind to the concept of Mashiach. You know, and so we see this the, 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 this whole thing to where it is that certain things ended up happening to the Jewish community, such as the Crusades, such as the Inquisition, such as the Holocaust, and you know who purported you know all of these things throughout history. It was Christians, you know, and so when this concept of the leader of Christianity being you know the Messiah pops up, you know. We see how it is that in many ways we have, us as the Jewish community, have really kind of put ourselves, sadly, into the same place as Paro. Yeah. You? Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. Uh, back in my days of uh, Hebrew roots, uh, I definitely, you know, used to chastise Christians basically for making them a Greek messiah and uh basically be like how can you not see this and not realizing that you know, some people are not uh, their eyes are not open to this so it's not their time yet so to speak. you know maybe they still have some lessons to learn or uh you know it's just uh it's not the appointed time so to speak so understand yet. absolutely absolutely hey you know the thing about though is that we can look at things within our own lives it's you know as Chris, uh, Christopher had, had brought up here about how it is that we tend to um, really kind of do it to ourselves in, you know, in spiritual ways as well as, you know, things that are just, you know, how it is that we're set in our ways in other areas of our life. You know, I think yeah. in many ways, you know, we are all guilty of this in some way, shape or form. Yeah. Absolutely. Even down to how it is I like my coffee, as a matter of fact, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I was telling some friends the other day how I have to train myself to question everything because we do, we get into, we make a decision on something and we stick at that. And wait a minute, 
if if Hashem reveals something else to us, we always need to be open to that. And um, yeah, that rut can be a hardening of our heart in this sense, not considering new things and other things that He has for us in His Word. Exactly, exactly. You know, and the thing about the Vizifs is if we kind of test ourselves in certain ways, almost in the way of like, you know, as long as something's, you know, kosher slaughter or, you know, whatever letter level of kosher a person keeps, you know, sometimes we're, we're like, you know, I don't you know, really want to try that because it's green or something, you know, or because that, that just doesn't look all that appetizing to me. You know, sometimes when we go and we think about the smaller things in life, there's are many that are not even really anything spiritual. They have a relation to the spiritual aspects as well, because if we're able to question even the, the, the smallest things that we have a uh, issue of, you know, our hearts being hardened in some way, shape or form, and especially in the form of Kaved that we mentioned, you know, in those things, you know, if we test those things, we, we then condition ourselves to maybe be a little bit more objective, you know, in in not staying in the same place that we were and constantly moving forward and being able to question ourselves. Because I think the more that it is that we learn, the more we realize, the less we know. And that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's uh, kind of something I learned this week through some events. Uh, basically, uh, long story short, uh, had something happen this week that I used to do to my mom on a constant basis. And I literally had no idea why she used to say she, you know, didn't want me around and was scared of me and this and that. And but through uh, some events that have happened, you know, Hashem used that bad situation technically for good in a situation also because He brought me to a full repentance with my mom. And uh, mm -hmm. you know, I called her and was like, "I'm so sorry. I never realized why it is that you said what you said." And how it is that you felt what you felt, but I do understand now, and I told her what had happened. And she said, you know, I've been waiting 20 years to hear those words come out of your mouth. Wow. And, wow. and it, it took a bad act, so to speak, uh, that some people will look at bad. You know, of course, it was bad one way, but in the same way, if you believe in the divine providence, that in all things there's lessons, and you don't technically harden your heart to the lesson, uh you can definitely learn from it and uh mm -hmm. and also bring you to a, a deeper state of understanding and repentance it's true. Yeah, absolutely uh, yeah pretty uh pretty eventful uh, i'm not glad that things happened but i, I am glad that it brought me to a new level of understanding and uh a, a less hardening so to speak mm. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. You know what? And I think that'd be a good segue into our section uh, where actually where Christopher ends up teaching as well as Amanda on the concept of uh, uh, things that they found in the uh, Medrash Rabbah. <clears throat> uh, well, let's see. I'm not going to some stuff, but uh, I found, uh, I'll tell you, well, I'll let Amanda go first. She's chomping at the bit over here. Oh, so. not really. <laughs> <laughs> well, so um, 
it's probably been, I guess it was probably Sunday night when we went through this together and um, uh, Chris and I going through the Rabah and they had the good Nicomish out and I think he messaged you even, but we, we kind of see this theme of um, Hashem saying, you know, tell him the Elohim of the Hebrews and, and you kind of see this flip-flop on the names. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as you know, Hashem and then the oh, Elohim, God. and and so um, the difference is there being kind of that mercy side of Hashem, and also the the judgment side as far as the form of Elohim. Right. And this stood out to me last year, so it was a real eye opener because what what I essentially see with this and um, what it seems like. Some of the Rabah hits on is that that yes, he is judging um, Egypt, uh, particularly Pharaoh, but it is still a merciful judgment. Like mm-hmm. it, is, he still has mercy attached to it. And um, you know, last year when I went through this portion, it, that didn't stand out to me so much because I was so focused on the judgment side of it. Right. And I, I couldn't really see the mercy part of it, and I had to be more open to that this time. But now I see it so clearly. And I found something in, I think it was Nicomish, and I, I apologize because I'm trying to find it again. But it's where, um, it's not the last. Oh, here it is. So the um. This rabbi sages, um, I guess is that word. Those words are interchangeable. Rabbis and sages. I'm still learning. Uh, somewhat. Uh, the the uh, well, a lot of chazel, the sages, were definitely uh, rabbis. Absolutely. Okay. So that's fine. So they kind of went back and forth on this, um, and saying that in verse. Let's see. I'm ready. Oh, here it is. Okay, so in um, chapter 9, verse 3, it says, See the hand of Hashem is on your livestock in the field, on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the cattle, and on the sheep, a very grievous pestilence. And so what they're um, talking about is that basically the fact that the scriptures say in the field um, is indicating Hashem's mercy because he was basically any Egyptians then that would bring their livestock inside that their livestock would be spared. Mm -hmm. And that was, I was like, wow, wait a minute, because I never really considered that the Egyptians were getting any mercy. And yet the rabbis point out that that's, that's what they think is kind of going on here is that he's actually extending not just mercy to his people, not just trying to save Israel, but that he's trying to save the ones who are, who are with them. The ones who say, okay, you are, you are the ones you God, And we do not, we want to be spared this. So we want to roll with you because we don't want to be harmed. And, and we want to believe that, you know, you are the ultimate God. So um, I thought that was really interesting. Um, and and one thing with that, you know, here's something to also think about. 
With what name was the earth created? Elohim. Yeah, Elohim. Yeah. Yep. With with the first, uh, I think it's two chapters. I think that the name Elohim shows up thirty-two times, if I remember correctly. So when we look at judgment, you know, the thing is that we have to realize that a lot of the times judgment is actually a good thing. You take, for instance, the Sanhedrin. Uh, the Sanhedrin, um, they actually said that if a person had to go and put, if the Sanhedrin had to put one person a year to death, it, that would actually end up being a bloodthirsty Sanhedrin. So a lot of the times the Sanhedrin mm -hmm. trying to get somebody off from getting the death penalty or, or, or any of these other things. They were looking for every loophole they could find to, mm -hmm. you know, cause, you know, the judgment to be in the favor of, you know, uh, through the attribute of chesed, of loving kindness first. And so the thing that we have to realize in order to get to, to that of givura, which is strength and judgment, we have to first go through chesed as well as da'at and tiferet, you know. And chesed is loving kindness. Tiferet is that of beauty. Da'at is that of, uh, of uh, uh, knowledge. And then, you know, that is how it is that we go about through that uh, to givura. That's why it is in the United States we have innocent until proven guilty. Yeah, sorry, sorry to interrupt you there. Keep on going. No, no, that was that was really good. I just um, that was really the big the theme that has stood out to me, and it reminds me um, because you know each time this portion comes around, like I'm thinking, yeah, this is where you know Hashem is going to smack down our enemies, and it, I kind of get on this like real righteous stance of you know, yes, that awesome. So I've had to be changed in my way of looking at this, and it reminds me, there's a verse in Revelations, I'm going to go to it, and and this is this verse has always kind of caught me, um, and, and again, I think this is just where we see the mercy, and it's Revelations uh, chapter 16, uh, verse 9, it says, and men were burned with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of Elohim, who possesses authority over these plagues, and they did not repent to give him esteem. And to me, it's almost like it's pointing to just how far he goes and allows us to get to repent. Like how far he's willing to, to take it up to the very last second, <laughs> almost, to give us that chance to, to say, okay, you know, I repent. And um, so I don't know. That that was just a parallel that I saw uh, to the Brit Hadashah and um, in that verse. And um, so, yeah, so this is like really the mercy is just a refreshing, uh, a refreshing twist on this for me. That is awesome. Mm -hmm. That is good stuff. Yeah. I kind of ran across a, a few things uh, from the Rabbah. I just found interesting and never really gave it much thought. But uh, one part was, uh, oh, this is in a Gutenberg, actually. And it was, uh, you know, it's in verse, uh, or wait, in verse 7, uh, 7, 3. 
And so what happens is one of them, the younger one, decides that he's going to go and carry a gun with him. And so what happens is this robber comes and tries to rob his cab, and he goes and pulls out the gun. He's like, he's like, no, no, you drop your gun. Mine's bigger, you know. And then, and then he goes, he goes, no, man, you don't understand. I do this for a living. <laughs> and then he, and then he got to, you know. And they're going back and forth, you know, throughout this, 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 this whole thing. And then finally, the robber looks at him and he says. Why are you giving me such a hard time? <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah. you know, the thing that popped in my mind was the whole thing with Pharaoh. <laughs> you know, Pharaoh's kind yeah. of... Yeah. It's like a perfect, like, movie scene. You know what I mean? If you really look at it in that light, like, it just... It really puts a, a character to Moses. You know what I mean? Like, not that he doesn't have his character, but... Like it just, I just picture this little old tepid man like screaming at Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's literally going, Who in the world is this dude that has enough nerve to walk up on me and scream at me in a language I have no idea? I mean, someone with, with those kind of nerves, it would definitely be kind of unnerving, uh, you know, to have him come up and scream at you like that when you're supposedly the king of the world, more or less, you know. I just found it, I kind of laughed at it, you know, really when I read it, but, you know, it made sense. And uh, I just, I thought it was funny. But also in the robot, I seen something where it was talking about uh, when uh, the first time Moshe struck the river with the, uh, with the rod, uh, that it says, you know, uh, Pharaoh went out early to the, uh, to the water and uh, I never really gave it my stop, but reading in the Ramah, they were basically teaching that Moses or that Pharaoh you could sneak out early in the morning because yep. he considered a god, and he didn't want anybody to see him using the bathroom because gods didn't use the bathroom. And uh, I never really gave it much thought as to do those three little words, and he went out to the water. But ultimately, it makes sense, and like it kind of fills in for me, you know, what that really meant because I never, I was always wondering like. What's the big deal of them going to the water? You know what I mean? Like, why is that in there? Of course, you know that every letter and word in Torah has its purpose and its function. Uh, but I just found that another kind of little funny thing, you know, in all reality, uh, that Moses kind of snuck up on him using the bathroom and like that probably embarrassed him <laughs> and you know. <laughs> I imagine, you know, you know, it could be graphic with squatting in the reeds and having <laughs> Coming back up to you, screaming at you, Beaver. <laughs> you know, it's like this dude's relentless. Man. What is wrong with this old man? <laughs> but, oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, and I think, as a matter of fact, I, I, I forget which source it is, but but one of the old rabbinic sources say that he actually trained himself to only have to, you know, empty himself, um, you know, early in the morning before everybody had got gotten up and he'd go and do it in the water over there. Yeah, that was in the Rabah. That's where I got that. that. The- uh, yeah, it's the uh, it's the Kleinman edition. Uh, but yeah, it's basically what it was teaching. I I just kind of gave a Cliff Notes version of it. But uh, yeah, that's that's where it came from. Was the Rabah. Uh, I just you know I just found some funny stuff in it. Really, I mean, it was pretty funny. Because I just like you said, you know, you picture the taxi cab movie, and I just. I got a cartoon laid out in my head of this old man, like, screaming at, you know, this dude that thinks he's a god. And 
it's probably definitely scaring him because Moses was relentless, you know what I mean? And, and he was speaking in a language he didn't know, which I, I never really gave much thought to that before. But, you know, it makes sense on why, you know, he uh, he had Aaron as an interpreter and and it just kind of changed the dynamic, so to speak. Uh, Absolutely. And there's also another side to that idea of Aaron having to be the interpreter as well that is also related to Moses saying he was heavy of tongue. They said that, that Moses's mind worked in such a way that he kind of reminds me of myself, you know, having, having, you know, a form of autism to where it is that things make sense to me, but obviously they don't make sense to other people in the way that I convey them at times. So essentially this is what was going on with Moses. And he had to have Aaron sit up there going, let me tell you what it is that Moses is talking about. <laughs> yeah, that's what Amanda says. She says that I, uh, of course, I, to me it makes perfect sense, but when it comes out, sometimes it leaves people going, what? What are you talking yeah. about? Yeah. Like, to me, I'm completely getting it, but everybody else is like, yeah, that didn't make any sense. So, yeah, I, yeah, I understand that. You know, and She's even like, but, uh, kind of the way you think, She's like, he's got to be your brother because I'm a doctor. But she's joking. But, uh, <laughs> like, he, you two are like alike when it comes to, you know, some of your thought processes. I found some other things in there by that, you know, I'm not going to get into, but uh, talking about, uh, you know, Solomon uh, and comparing him to Moses and uh, the Proverbs and things like that that were really, I grasped and I tried to relate them to her to get her to understand it. And she's like, I'm not getting it. And I was like, I finally broke it down to where she could grasp it somewhat. And she was like, yes, that's what I'm talking about. Like a lot of people don't, or they're not going to get that. You know? Well, here's the thing. I think too, I come out of Christianity. So mm -hmm. I, I don't know if others can attest to this or not, but coming out of Christianity is a lot of untraining or retraining the brain to, yeah. to actually think um, outside the box and, to be more open and especially reading the Rabbah. I just started finding my way really well around the homish. Um, but the Rabbah is very hard for me to follow. I'm like very lost and I consider myself a smart person, but I'm very lost in that. And, um, but some of the concepts, um, well, I mean, I'll, I'll just be honest with you. It took me probably six or eight months of hearing you teach on uh, Yeshua not being the Passover lamb for me to actually accept it because like you would say it and I would be like, I'm, I disagree with him. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't care what evidence he gives. That is my brain, you know? And it's just that it's like, I've had to unteach myself a lot of like bad thought processes. You know, that oh, uh, and the thing about this, the thing you guys always have to remember as well, it's okay to disagree with me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, we don't agree on everything, but that's what makes everyone unique. Well, I mean, a couple of weeks ago, you said, I think it was the the Brit portion you did for the a couple of weeks ago, and you mm -hmm. were talking about Yeshua having a Yetzirah. And I, like, threw my hands up in the air and said, no. <laughs> it's not possible. He can't. Well, you know. And you very well could be right. You know, I think I was just kind of given a, you know, of what it is that I think that is possible, you know, but, you know, because, you know, one of the things that says in the, in the, in the uh, Talmud is it says that a person should try and make their Yetzirah become a Yetzirah Tov, 
you know, and so that's kind of where it was I was coming from. But, you know, the thing about it, though, is that I definitely could have been wrong on that. Absolutely. Well, and, but here's the I mean, I have to agree because you sure had to have been not necessarily tempted. I mean, you know, in the way we think, but he had to have gone through some things and had to, you know, stop it right there in his mind and go, you know, Father, get this out of my mind. Like, you know, please give me whatever it takes to overcome it. Because if he didn't do that, then how can he work through us to have us overcome some of the emotions that we have, uh, you know, worldly desires and things of that nature? I mean, he had to have had some type of uh, human feeling towards things, but quickly, you know, took to the Father to overcome the Yetzirah. So to speak. Well, you know, and that's another way of saying it. And you know what? I got to go grab my uh, my charger for my uh, laptop here. It's getting ready to die. And so while while I wait to come back, I, I would like to hear what everybody else has to think on that premise of Yeshua having the Yetzirah. You guys kind of go and discuss that for the audience. And I'll hear it back when I have to go and, you know, go and uh, uh, get this up on the radio and all that good stuff. So, you know. Maybe maybe you guys will maybe I'll step back into a little bit of a really engaging medrash here in terms of that. So let's see what you guys have to say in terms of that. <laughs> I don't know that term. Yitzhara, uh, what is that? Inclination. Say so that again. It's the evil inclination. Yetzirah. Oh, okay. Hebrew words for the evil inclination. Yes. So, yes. Yes. We know the Torah says in numerous places, man's heart is inherently wicked above all things. You know, yes, even yes. we definitely have it. But coming, yes. you know, coming from Christianity, like Christianity would probably never teach that. So, but yes. Shua had a Yetzirah, that he had an evil inclination. Um, and at least I've never heard it in the Christian church. I've, I've only ever heard, you know, well, he was deity. So there's no way that he could have, the evil in him that we would have in us. But my, yeah, my perspective is that he had to be in the exact replica, uh, replication of the first Adam who had not sinned. So I do not believe he had an evil inclination, but on the other hand, I do not believe that anything he did on earth was walking in any way with any deity showing itself himself. So, it was, from my perspective, I see it as neither. Not that he had an evil inclination, but also he wasn't walking as God on earth. He was walking as the first Adam walked. He had to, to be the second Adam. That was the job description. Sorry, the bird's squawking. Um, he, the job description was being the first Adam. To, and so what did Adam have? He did not have an evil inclination in the beginning. He got that once he sinned. Yeah. And so that's, that's how I see that plays out. Yeah. And that what if, he truly was walking um, not as deity. He had the full capability of, if you will, sinning as Adam did. But... Um, so in that sense, you know, God cannot be tempted, but he was tempted. So his role on earth is, I think, to an Eastern thinking different than what the church tells you. But it's, anyways, it, he has to be that second Adam. He has to be perfectly, exactly the second, the 
first Adam in all his capabilities and his wisdom, knowledge, and his walk. He was to walk with Hashem in the garden. So Yeshua is our example of someone who walked with Hashem in the garden. To me, that, that's just one of the crucial aspects to who he is and his walk. And it adds to his, his walk because he could have conceivably sinned. Uh, otherwise, is he really tempted as we are? Now, 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 now here's a question that we got from, uh, uh, from Hannah. Um, she says, how could Jesus be tempted without the Yetzirah? And I would also have to ask this. What is the difference between Adom HaRishon and Adom HaAkron? You know, uh, that, 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 that would be something that, uh, that would really have to be a part of that, of that whole thing, I would think. Now, what are those two terms? I'm unfamiliar with oh, those. I'm sorry. Uh, Adom HaRishon is the first Adam. Uh, mm -hmm. referring oh, okay. To Adam, who was created on earth. The second Adam is also referred to as the last Adam, which is the Mashiach. Mm -hmm. okay. and, this is, and this is in relation to how it is that uh, the scripture goes and talks about uh, going back to the premise of Adam HaRishon before he was called Adam HaRishon. Mm -hmm. So where it is that he was basically a living soul is what it was that, that he that that he was a soul that has been un, uncorrupted, and um, you know that uh, that didn't that didn't uh, sin. But then the rabbis say that his skin became callous after he did mm -hmm. sin, and he became finite. So let me ask a question. So my understanding of the Yitzhahara is that it um, is something from within. The, the temptation, mm -hmm. in, in essence, comes from within. Is there a concept, though, of temptation coming from without? So, yes. you know, because I always looked at, and I've heard it said two ways, that Adam was, um, you know, tempted by his Yetzirah, and that's what caused the fall. However, if we look at it the flip way, that he did not have a Yetzirah, could an outside influence have tempted him? That is the same way I would look at Yeshua. Yeshua may not have had a Yetzirah, but he still could have those outside temptations, which if he succumbed to them, that Yetzirah would then become activated in some way. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's how I see it. Absolutely. And also at the same time, you could think about it in this way as well, that um, you take, you take, for instance, you know, and maybe, and maybe Christopher can give us a little bit of insight on this to where it is that you have people around you who are trying to influence you in some way, but it is something within you that causes <laughs> you to say, yes, I'm going to go under mm -hmm. that or no, I'm not going to. And that's when you have either the Yetzirah taking activation or you continue to follow uh, Yetzirah Tov. Yeah. And it's almost like you're one ha they have to either become activated one way or the other. Yeah. It talks about the, the 
adversary uh, says he draws what is within us. He shows us something, but it's our own sin that actually uh, leads to the sin. So he's showing us the fruit, and our eyes are saying, that's nice-looking fruit. It tastes good. It will give me the power, wisdom, knowledge. And so he was the one who brought it and put it in front of us. And yet, what was he doing? He was working on our own, um, our own desires. And I still believe there's a differentiation between, because I believe it's in Romans, and forgive me for not knowing the verse, where it says that we are now free not to sin, basically. Where we weren't before, we were slaves to sin, but now we're slaves to righteousness. And so there is a restoration as we have the Ruach in our lives that we couldn't have had beforehand. And so I think that's the difference with this uh, Yitzhahara is that this, this flesh, this wickedness is different after sin than before. And that's what was restored to us since as we have the Ruach filling us again. Mm -hmm. I have a question. Yeah, have at it. Um, so are we talking about the flesh? Because Christ was flesh of Mary, even though she was a virgin, she did, we, they do say that the sins of the father go down to the generations, up on, what is it, unto seven generations or something like that. Yeah, the um, whole premise of generational iniquity. Right. So there, mm -hmm. if it is the same with Mary's family, then there was gener generational iniquity in her side of the family, right? So then she would there, have. Yeah, there are, but they can be broken as well. You know, right. it is it, it it can continue to go on until the time that it is it is it is broken, but it would usually come to its fulfillment within seven generations. That's right. why, you know, you take a person who says, you know, um, I'm an alcoholic because my father was an alcoholic, my oh. grandfather was an alcoholic, you know, and all of these things. You know, you've heard people say that, you know, yeah. it's in my DNA. The thing yeah. about those, it doesn't, it, it doesn't have to. And then, you know, there's another side of the premise of, the, of, of this whole thing, you know, that, that deal with what it is that you're talking about as well as what Daniel was speaking of. You know, I... We go and we talk about peer pressure, you know, the kids go through nowadays and all of those things. But also think about this, you know, every time that there's a serial killer caught somewhere, what is it that the neighbors always say? You know, he never really bothered anybody. He kept to himself, you know, and all this stuff, you know, and, and you find out that the guy was just, he was just evil. You know, I mean, there, there's no other way to put it. There was nobody sitting over there going, hey, man, go and do this. You know, the dude was just evil, you know. And so the thing about, though, is that that's when you go and you really see the Yetzirah in many ways because there's not really an outside thing a lot of the times that causes a person to do this. They will come from good families. They will come from, you know, things. And it's like, what the heck happened to this guy? Like, for instance, I was watching this documentary the other day because it was something that I just could not wrap my mind around. Um, anybody who's ever... Big rock fans, you guys remember Gigi Allen? This this guy was the worst of the worst. This guy, when he was born, his father named him Jesus Christ. And yeah, and his and and his brother called him Gigi. 
you know, and that's where he got his, his name from. This guy went on to Geraldo. He went on to uh, Sally Jesse and talked about how he was going to kill himself on stage on Halloween. The guy would take his own feces and throw it to the, uh, uh, on, the, uh, um, on the people at his concerts, and he would rape both men and women that went to his concert. This guy was the worst of the worst, incredibly evil. But then they go and they, you know, talk to his mom and she's the sweetest church going lady of all time. And you're sitting up there wondering what the heck happened to this guy? You see, that's, I can completely relate to this because my, I'm adopted. Uh, and we recently did ancestry.com to find out like, you know, where I come from, what I, like basically mental health thing, not mental, but health wise and where my bloodlines come from and all this. And actually I have some Jewish bloodlines today. Uh, but, uh, my, uh, family, uh, my real my biological family, actually a really rich, well to do family. And no one that I can see on these pages of Facebook, I haven't reached out to them. But it linked me directly to one of the people through DNA. Uh, wow. uh, and I looked up, and the dude, I've got a brother that looks almost identical to me, uh, except he's a little bit bigger. And he's not into anything at all. And uh, my, my family that raised me, my dad was a two star brigadier general. And he literally has a, a street name in the town where I'm from. So I come from two very good families technically but yet something inside of me the Yatsahara, uh would like to come out and it's kind of like you know i didn't go so far as raping people you know throwing feces on them but i mean I, I literally through witchcraft which i was a methamphetamine cooking dealer uh would enslave you know guys and girls to basically uh Addiction. addiction you know and some of these people are still stuck in that and that's something that i have to repent from daily that's something that I put inside of them technically uh you know i brought out that that's in them but you know a lot of people would look at me and go well what happened to this guy man he had every opportunity ever and yet he chose this crazy path to go be just pretty i mean i raised to a pretty high level of drug dealing uh I mean, when I got caught, my bond was a half a million dollars, if that tells you anything. I was looking at 120 years. Uh, of course, the student had something different for me. I, I only got 10. But, uh, you know, ultimately, that was the Yetzahara coming out. And, you know, I don't have that I can see anywhere in my family lineages, either side, where that was even a curse or a generational curse. So that was brought on by me or through my, you know, my Yetzahara, but somehow, of course, we know how that somehow is through the blood of Messiah. I broke that. And, uh, you know, like, I I can relate to the guy that did stuff in a way, the, the crazy stuff, but not on the level that he did it, but, uh, you know, it, it's giving in to the inner self, basically, and uh, it's it's crazy. When you really look back at some of the things you did, and not only your family, but to, to some people, 
and the effects and the, and the consequences that are still happening to some of these people that, you know, I can never fully uh, get back what I did to some people. You know what I mean? And it's uh, it's kind of a hard, hard concept to live with. Uh, you know, thanks to Messiah Yeshua, you know, I, I know I'm forgiven and I've, I've done everything I can and, and to uh, try to help others. Uh, which, you know, ultimately I was supposed to go in, well, Daniel knows, I was supposed to go into prison ministry with the, the place that all of us used to go to. And, uh, you know, we just found some things in them that uh, were scripturally unsound. And uh, I just couldn't go in there and align myself with uh, those people. And they didn't wouldn't let me speak what I wanted to speak and speak truth, they, they wanted to kind of believe it. And uh, I just, I couldn't do that. So, you know, like I'm looking for the opportunity to go back into prison one of these days. And uh, through the situation that happened the other day, the, the cop that was here at the house, uh, basically was like, man, you would be the perfect guy to go into these jails and talk to these guys. And then some other people on a, on a block watch program, because I basically, uh, the guy that offended me, I basically put his name out there and said, this is what has happened. Did this guy be on the lookout for him. If you have kids, he, you know, this is who he is. And through that, other people are like, have you ever thought about going into schools and telling your story? And, you know, ultimately, uh, it's crazy how I used to give in to the Yetzirah like I did and had, you know, like it controlled me. And then, all of a sudden now, you know, through the blood, pure, I, I can't even imagine being that. Uh, you know, ultimately, sometimes my, my anger, like, rises up a little bit. Uh, it's more of a, especially the other day, you know, but I had to, you know, calm that. But, uh, you know, no longer do I even give the Yetzirah in that fashion of drugs or making money and illegally or uh, stuff like that even a second thought so uh, you know I think it's it's definitely inside of everyone it's just whether you choose to follow it or not so to speak you know what I mean absolutely absolutely and uh, Christopher and Amanda brought out some really good conversation there in their segment for this week we spent a lot of time on that and guys you I mean, I mean, heck, you do better at this than I do, I have to say, you know. But are we ready to go on to the Hasidic segment, or do you guys want to discuss this a little bit more, or, or what say you guys? I just have one question for you. It, it might sure. be more of a language question. I don't know if you want me to ask it now or not. Um, go ahead. Well, there, in uh, verse – oh, let me get to it. Um, talking about the finger of Elohim. Okay, what? Uh, it's uh, when he threw down the stat, or he, he did a performed. Uh, who did he perform? I can't remember. Uh, Which? Okay, it's uh, it's uh, eight nineteen. The magicians then said. This is the finger of Elohim, but the heart of Pharaoh was strengthened, and he did not listen to them, as Hashem had said. So Yeshua mentions the finger of Elohim in Luke eleven twenty. Yep. 
And I can't find anything though. Of course, I can't. I, I can't figure out how to read the Rabah, but I thought I would find something in the Homish or some place about that that would kind of. I mean, I know the rabbis wouldn't, of course, refer to the the Brit Hashah, but I thought for sure that there would be a connection somewhere mm -hmm. that would have said, "Well, if Yeshua Yeshua said this, and it's in the Torah, so it has to be significant." Your answer is in the Haggadah, okay? Because, think on this. Here's what it says in, in the Haggadah. How much did they suffer when it was just a finger? Ten mm. plagues. Mm -hmm. That means that Egypt, they suffered ten plagues, but the sea, they suffered 50 plagues. Why, why do you think it says 50 plagues of the sea and only ten for the finger? Would it be the whole hand? I think I heard that is the correct. Whole hand and there's five fingers. Well, you got to count the thumb as a finger, but there's five yep. fingers on a thumb, or and there's five fingers on a hand. You are absolutely right. Absolutely right. That's where that's where this concept comes from. And so, whenever that this is something that we recite all of the times, and so Yeshua goes and makes note of the hand of Hashem too in several different places, as well as within the book of Revelation. And this refers to the attributes of Givora, which, as we covered earlier, deals with not only good things, but bad things as well. And in this concept, you know, in terms of the Torah portion, they refer to bad things. But that, but you know, you've heard people say, the hand of God, was over me in terms of this. What they're saying is that there are 50 blessings that are being bestowed upon them and God's protection in 50 different ways whenever it is that they um, go through whatever. Does that help at all? Yeah, it does. It totally does. I knew there had to be something. I just couldn't find it. <laughs> There's a, a verse I had highlighted with that in mind. You know, it talks about creation as the work of his hands. And yet if you look at Exodus 6-6, um, uh, he talks about, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. So, and there are other verses that talk about being salvation coming from the arm of God. It, it took more to bring redemption and salvation, the arm of God, than it did to create the entire universe, which was done by his handiwork. I mean, the strong arm versus the handiwork. Yeah, I'm going to put the world together. I'm just going to whip it up. But I'm going to save a dying, sinful race. That's going to take the arm of God. It's a beautiful picture. That is a beautiful isn't, picture, yeah. Isn't uh, in those verses, or one of them anyways, isn't the word Daroa uh, for shoulder? Uh, I think it's, uh, let me see. Which, uh, which verse is the arm was the uh, six six. We were talking about the shoulder. It was actually Zeroa. And the root word of that is Zara, which is seed. Mm -hmm. Ties into uh, Isaiah. So I can't remember. Maybe I can find it in my scriptures. But it's been so long since I've. Uh, I'm over here looking in six six right now, as a matter of fact. So uh, give me just one second here. Um, yeah, it is Zeroa. Um, it's a uh, Strong's number H uh, uh, 2220. 
It says arm, forearm, shoulder, strength. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting that Zeroa, the, the root from that is Zera, which I believe is C, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong. I'm not by any yep. means expert in that, but, uh. Yep, you're right. It also goes right. in Father Isaiah somewhere too. I can't remember. I did a study on it. Uh, man, I'm drawing a blank right now. bad. I wish I wasn't, but, uh, it, <laughs> tied into, it was really good. Tied into a prophecy of Yeshua. Being the, the Zeroah of Elohim, the arm, technically mm -hmm. the right hand of, of Shem. You know. Absolutely, because it deals with the attribute of the physical manifestation. Yeah. And, you know, plus, you know, in this verse, we have the, the four letter name of the Yod Heh Vav Heh, which deals with that of the, um, with the attribute of mercy at the same time. And yeah. so, with that, in many ways, you have that attribute of of Hashem in that of Mashiach ben Yosef, you know, and so yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's been a long it's been a while since I, I just I just popped up when Daniel spoke at it. I was like, man, I remember studying into the arm and hey, yeah, yeah. rolling like yeah. it was really cool. It really took me in some deep places. I just mm -hmm. know, marked up like I used to. I've been through so many Bibles after the prison and all. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I gave away most of everything I had other than my one Bible that had like all my study notes. But I, I had a mentor that like pretty much uh, gave me every resource tool that I ever asked for. Uh, and he would come every Shabbat. He was a Messianic dude. And he came every Shabbat and he would basically send me a book every week and I would read it and he would come and visit me, the only person to visit me. And we would speak scripture and talk about, he would buy the same book and we would kind of talk back and forth about it. So, uh, he's kind of the one that, that got me into, uh, where I'm at, you know, and, and the, uh, kind of the breaking of the, the mindset, the, the Western mindset. Uh, so, you know, I, I owe a lot to that guy. He's a really good guy. Uh, Daryl Huff. Uh, I'm going to have to probably tag him into it and get him to watch it. Uh, but yeah, he's uh, a lot of real life changer, man. You know, like I said, one of the days I'd like to be the, the guy that goes into prison and does the same for someone uh, such as my ex self. <laughs> Absolutely. By the way, here's another cool thing that actually relates to what it is your wife was talking about um, earlier. The word that is used for judgments in that very verse right there. Do you have your? Uh, uh, do you have one of your interlinears out right there? Um, well. For those who have their interlinears out, one of the things you want to look at is the very last word within uh, Exodus six six there, and the word that is there is uh, gedolim, okay, which comes from the word geula, okay. And so the thing is that, that what is Geula? Geula is redemption. Oh. And so, so the thing about it, though, is that though it's translated to judgments there, the, the root there is the word uh, Geul, which is, you know, um, part of Gedulim, judgments. So oh. it's one of those things that kind of shows you goes one way or the other. Mm. Pretty neat stuff. Awesome. Yeah. 
Yeah. All right. Anything else before we go into the next segment there? One, one thing that I was looking at, you know, with what Chris brought up about how uh, uh, Pharaoh was shocked by somebody speaking a different language. I, yeah. I saw a situation I thought was interesting in Exodus 7-9. It's God, God warns uh, Moses and Aaron that Pharaoh's going to ask for a miracle. But mm-hmm. he, never, he never says, and maybe you guys have found something somewhere else, he never says, that that Pharaoh's priests are going to do miracles too. So I, I'm just trying to imagine what Moses and Aaron would have thought when they created serpents as well. It's like that had to have been a shock to them. And yet God proved superior because Moses' serpent ate the others. But still, each time when they were, when the, when the miracles were matched, they had to scratch their head. He didn't tell us about that. He didn't tell us that was going to happen. So I, it made me just wonder, how did they come across that? How did they react to seeing similar, inferior, yet similar things go on? I just, it was that's, an interesting thought. That's actually something that I was getting ready to talk about, believe it or not. <laughs> I did that once before. Too. Absolutely. You're welcome. <laughs> but actually, my jumping off point is Exodus chapter 7, verse 11. And right there it says, Then Paro also called the wise men and the sorcerers and also the magicians of Egypt um, did the same as their secret arts. Now here's what, and this actually falls into uh, to, uh, uh, Christopher's area of study, which is the Medrash Rabbah. In uh, terms of Exodus Rabbah 9, 6, 7, it says this. It says, then Paro mocked them and, uh, and crowded at them like a rooster, or crowed at them like a rooster, saying to them, so these are the signs of your God. Normally, merchants take goods and place their product, uh, a place where their product is in demand. Does it make sense to import pickled fish into a, a, a pimia where pickled fish are made or to import fresh fish into a co where fresh fish are caught daily? Do you know that all types of magic are produced within my providences? Then when uh, then he then called Egyptian school children and they performed the same signs. He called his wife. She did the same. Yochani and Mamri these two names are important. The chief magician said to Moshe Rabbeinu, does it make sense to import straw into straw town? Moses and Aharon said there is a proverb that says, bring herbs to herb town. Okay. Now this is a pretty funny little uh, thing that is talked about in the Medrash Rabbah. Now the thing that's interesting here is that these two names, Yochani and Mamri. Mamri is actually an Aramaic name. Anybody know what the what the Aramaic name is, what what Mamri means? Mm. It means incantation. Oh. Okay. Now here's the interesting thing: these guys are actually named in the New Testament. These guys are talked about in the New Testament, but their names don't appear in the Torah. It only appears in the Medrash Rabbah. Is that Janice and Jam? Jambray? You, you got it. You got it. 
Absolutely. In 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. How, do, how did you jump on that so fast, Kathleen? <laughs> I've had a lot of training in my many years in Scripture. Good my job. gosh, she's mm -hmm. leaps and bounds above the rest of us. I saw this for the first time today and thought it was pretty cool. <laughs> no, it's, it's one where it is mentioned in the Brit Hadashah, but it's not mentioned in the Torah. Yep. And only the only other place that is mentioned is in that of the mm -hmm. of the of Exodus Rabbah. But uh, for those who don't have their New Testaments app, the verse says, uh, which is Second Timothy chapter three verses seven through nine, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just as uh, how do I pronounce those two cats' names in the English? There. Uh, now I'm just I'd have to really look, but I always heard it was like Janice and Jambray, a two two J names. That'll work. That'll work. Uh, yeah, that's about what I was guessing as well. Opposed Moses. So these men also opposed the truth. Men of deprived mind rejected in regard to the faith, but they will make further progress for their follower will be for their folly would be obvious to all just as uh, uh, folly was also. That's how I pronounce those guys' names. Whenever I have to read genealogies in Hebrew, the trick is just read them really fast. That's Just remember, nobody else can pronounce them either unless they're a scholar. <laughs> we'll just call them JJ. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was pretty neat, considering that, you know, one of the things that people always end up talking about, you know, is, is that sometimes, you know, when they you know, here the people like us, you know, take a, a huge account into Tarashe Bialpe as well as the words of Chazel. They say, where are you going to find any of this stuff within that of the uh, of the New Testament, where you see them talking about any of these? You know, you can see it in many different ways, but some people will say, well, you know, that was a later text. I hear people say all the time, you know, because of the fact that the Talmud was, you know, officially done during the time of the 6th century in terms of written form. You know, they, they, they kind of see that as the publication date, which isn't the case. But when you go and you look at the words of Second Timothy, which was written by the apostle, he's citing the Medrash Rabbah, which some of these same people say the Medrash Rabbah was way after that of the Talmud, which is <laughs> not the case. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I've found. So much stuff is like, is ingrained in people through uh, false theology, so to speak, or just taught by your grandma or grandpa or whatever, you know, they just, they believe because your grandma said that Yeshua was Yeshua. And like, they truly don't know this, that he, like, if you were to say, you know, to try to convert a Jewish person, don't, you know, how would you ever do that if all you can say was, my grandma told me so. Like, you have to really study into these texts and be able to get down to their level and show them proof. You know what I mean? And that's one of the things that that I always looked at. It's like I want to be able to one day build conversion. You know what I mean? Like to be able to to get him to see his fire. So Absolutely. Uh, you said, you know, if you like that little thing right there, you know, just that would catch someone off guard that, that never read the, the New Testament. You know, they'd be like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Cool stuff. Cool stuff. Now, let's see. We'll go ahead and get into our uh, Messiah within the Torah segment here. And this actually kind of goes to something uh, that actually I think uh, uh, Christopher and Amanda have been talking about a lot. Uh, I see somebody's church bells are going off over there. No, that's my, my clock. <laughs> I like that. Is it a grandfather clock? It's a small, it's on a, on a shelf. Oh, cool deal. Cool deal. I always like those things. Um, there is a concept here that uh, brings a lot of confusion to a lot of people. It says in Exodus chapter 6, verses 3 through 4, I appeared to Avraham, to Yitzhak, and to Yochov as El Shaddai, but my name, Hashem, I did not make uh, myself known to them. Now, this is something that we ultimately end up seeing all throughout that of the of the um, book of Genesis, we do see that yes, the name of Yod Hey Vav Hey or Hashem was used several times, and the you know it was it was said by that of the forefathers, you know. So the thing about it though is that there's a concept here that we're not really um, getting into. And this is something that we have to realize that when Hashem says, I am faithful and uphold and verify my words or ni aman li ma'et bidabri, which basically means that he is the God that is keeping the promises. We see that, that he goes and he makes several different promises to the ends, to the forefathers of Judaism in the book of Bereshis or Genesis. One that we can make note of is Genesis chapter 15, verses verses 13 through 14, where he says, God said to Avram, know for certain that your descendants will be stranger in the land that is not theirs. There they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years, but I will also judge the nation whom they serve, and afterwards they will come out with many possessions." Now the thing about it though is that when these this this thing when he says that 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 the name of Hashem is not known to the individuals the forefathers of Abraham Yitzhak and Yalchov, what he is essentially saying is that they won't see the promises that are coming about that it is that I promise to you and to your descendants. I feel like dancing right there after hearing that. Um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, you know, that, that this is one of the things that, that, that happens here. So by him going to make his name known to that of Moshe Rabbeinu and to Aharon and to the uh, uh, children of Israel, the thing about it, though, is that we ultimately end up seeing a fulfillment that should, show, that should also end up showing us um, the Mashiach in such, a, in such an amazing way. Because if we go to Exodus chapter 6, verse 4, it says, I established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they sojourned. Now, the thing is that the Sadducees, as we see throughout that of the New Testament, they had no concept of tekiyas ma'asim, resurrection of the dead. Now, the thing about it, though, is that within Tadashia uh, Bi'alpeh, and also within that of the Targumim, it goes and it talks about how it is that Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yochov will be in that of the Elam Haba. Where does, where does this come from? From Tekiyas Ma'asim, from resurrection of the dead. And so, therefore, 
when we go to Mark chapter 12, verse 26 through 27, we see that Yeshua understood, and he is a part of that messianic prophecy, as you say. And Mark chapter 12, verses 26 through 27, where he says, regarding the fact that the dead rise again, I will um, have you not read in the book of Moshe Rabbeinu, in the passage which the burning bush how god spoke to him saying i am the god of avraham i am the god of yitzhak and the god of yochov he is not the god of the dead but the god of the living the sadducees were greatly mistaken pretty interesting premise there mm Anybody have anything to add to that or any questions in terms of that before we go to the Zohar section or any sort of medrash in terms of that? Uh, I, I kind of got something that it, they, in the Thomas, uh, it kind of shows how uh, those terms uh, time together, you know, or basically, and also kind of like you're talking about how we think versus how some other people think, uh, just comparing me and you is, Moses wanted to know how Hashem was working, like, you know, and, and like Hashem said, you know, I am God, you know, he said, I revealed myself to them and, you know, they did not become known to them, but it was like Moses was like asking him questions and like, not really doubting him, but he was like inquisitive and it was like, yeah. and Hashem like spoke to him, like, look, you know, in a very stern way, you know, why are you asking me these questions? I'm Hashem. Don't worry about that. I've got that. Like in the patriarchs, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they never questioned. They just did what he said, period. And Moses was on a, a different uh, andrega, I guess you would say, where he was inquisitive and wanted to know how Hashem was going to do these things and like the inner workings, so to speak. And he was more of a, a face-to-face with Hashem and uh, you know it talks about that uh, at the very beginning in the in the, uh, in the wholeness I thought that was pretty cool really absolutely uh, and 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 also at the same time we see that uh, in in the part of the homish there where it says uh, sparks of, of Hasidus yeah the very last paragraph over there this is from uh, the Lavavitcher Rebbe Menachem Mendel Schneerson and Lekotes uh, Lekotes he has a different take on it, which I think is also very important. He says, God replied, my true name, Adonai, Javier. And Javier is one of the ways that the four-letter name is sometimes rendered in terms of a concept known as Kure and Kativ. Um, I do not become known to them. The Tetragrammaton Javier transcends all limitations, much in the same way that Ein Sof does. Thus, God was replying to Marshal Rabbeinu, uh, do not serve me with intellect alone. Temper your intellect with emotion and faith so that you may serve me without limitation. So that's a... Yeah, yeah, that's kind of saying, uh, you know, wisdom alone is not going to get you get there with me. It's, it's, it takes you, all you have to, to fully understand and walk with me. You know, you can know the scriptures, you can speak the language you can do all that but that does not mean that you're walking it's kind of like yeshua said many will say lord lord but he will turn and say to them leave from me i do not know you which the word there in hebrew 
is yada, and it means to intimately know someone. So just because you have a book knowledge of Hashem doesn't necessarily mean you're going to make it uh, uh, walking with him and, and striving with him. Absolutely. And this is and this is also a part of the premise in which it is that they were discussing as well. Can you guys see the what I just wrote on the mm -hmm. board of? Yeah. Yes. Everybody knows what this is. Aleph base gimel. You know the first three letters of the Hebrew aleph base, right? Yeah. Well, this is the aleph represents emuna. Okay, see because it starts with the aleph, the bait, which is basically what it is that uh, the Moshe Rabbeinu is relying on here in the terms of the words of Hashem that he gave to him is bitachon, trust. Okay? We have faith, trust, which brings about this, which is the geula, the redemption. Hmm. And so this is, this is the formula in which it is that we should always approach things in terms of Hashem we should always approach things in this manner. Aleph base gimel is the foundation of all of faith. Aleph base gimel. That's it. Nice, nice. That was awesome. Yep. Excellent. So we ready to uh, wrap it up with the Zohar segment, or anything else? Anybody's coming? You know, wants to say before it is that we do. All good. Okay. Going once, going twice. All right. <laughs> well, this is what I got here in terms of the Zohar. It's it's in the Torah port or the uh, Zohar Viera. Okay, and we're going to be going to uh, first one. Month, or anything else? Anybody's coming? <laughs> huh? What was that? What's going on? I I hit something and it started. I thought I had my volume turned down and it wasn't. You're fired. <laughs> Uh, there you go. Sorry. <laughs> one of these days, Alice. One of these days. Yeah. Power oh. right in the kisser. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> Zohar Vieira 111, it says this. Another explanation, and this deals with actually something that uh, Christopher and, uh, and Amanda ended up touching on earlier. Another explanation of, and Elohim spoke. This is the degree of, anybody want to guess the next word? Uh, judgment. As the, name, <laughs> as the name Elohim is judgment, namely Malchut, which is the, uh, in the feet part of the Sephirot, which represents that of the kingdom, and said to him, I am Hashem. This is a different grade, namely Zer Anpin, which is mercy. And we've been over the concept of Zer Anpin in the past in terms of Kabbalistic literature and what exactly Zer Anpin is. It represents the Mashiach, which is because it encapsulates the middle pillar as well as the concepts of that of Chesed and Gevura, which deal with um, Mashiach ben Yosef and Mashiach ben David, the attributes of Chesed and Gevorah. Um, let's see here. Uh, Zir Anpin, which is mercy, and where everything is connected together, judgment and mercy together. Okay, so this is dealing with that very concept right there of two comings of Messiah in many ways, which is great wholeness. This is the meaning of, and I said, 
to him, I am Hashem, which is the attribute of mercy. Rabbi Shimon said, if it were written, and Elohim spoke to Moshe Rabbeinu, I am Hashem, I would say that for him, judgment and mercy were linked together. It, that's just amazing. But it is not written so. Rather, it is, the, it is first written, and Elohim spoke to Moshe and said, and, and, and said to him, I am Hashem, which means they are a grade after another grade instead of judgment and mercy linked together. Meaning that considering that they are not technically linked together in terms that one has to come before the other, which goes and shows us that in any situation, we always have to start with chesed. So is it by any any uh, a surprise to us that we got Mashiach ben Yosef before it is that we got Mashiach ben David? You know, we have to have the chesed because we have to have to change that of the things within us and to exemplify chesed, exemplify loving kindness, so that we, it is that we can make ourselves ready for the attribute of Geula, judgment, through that of Mashiach ben David. Anything, anything you guys have anything to add in terms of that? Uh, not, I mean, that, yeah, that's pretty profound. And, and yep. I'm kind of new to the Zohar. Uh, technically, I mean, I've read it, and uh, but we were reading it yesterday. And it talks about, you know, the, the lights and stuff later on in this chapter. And Amanda yep. brought to me, because she's in uh, healthcare, that mm-hmm. uh, talking about the colors, and there's certain colors that only, uh, that we can see, but yeah, what was it, blind? Oh, uh, colorblind. Color, we were talking color about colorblindness, yeah. She, is, it in the, is it chapter two where it says visible and invisible yeah. colors? Okay. Yeah, it says we are told that uh, there are three colors in the eye, white, red, and green, which are like the three colors of Zaranthine. The pupil of the eye is black, the mirror that does not illuminate. Rabbi Shimon says that the secret of seeing the three concealed lights is to close your eyes and turn them inwardly towards Poland, Sharak, and Kira, the three places that receive love, power, and beauty. When the eye is closed, it sees the higher colors as it did Moshe, but when it opens, it sees only the lower colors. This explains why Moshe was spoken to by yud heh but the patriarchs were spoken to by El Shaddai. Finally, Rabbi Shimon tells us that one is not allowed to greet a wicked person, but if one greets a righteous person, it is the same as though he were greeting Hashem. And she was talking about... Uh, the difference in the patriarchs and how Moses was inquisitive and how they just blindly followed more or less. You said that, you know, what is it? The colorblind can only see the red, white, and black. Well, I don't know exactly what the issue is with the colorblind, but they, there's a certain colors that they can't see or that they see differently. And I, um, I had a family member that couldn't see the the red and green lights like at the stoplight or whatever so that's what that reminded me of oh well no but but, but, by the way just so that we have the citation for those who also have the zohar uh it's just chapter two but which number is beside of it there 
Uh, it's the it's just chapter two, the beginning, the synopsis. Oh, the oh, the, oh, so it's the synopsis of it. Okay. Yeah, and uh, you know, kind of, you know, if you go by the colorblind and the people that can fully see, you can kind of, in my scene or of it, is kind of, you know, the the patriarchs could, were kind of colorblind, not really, but they just they didn't see the fullness of him as as Moses did because Moses could see all the colors, so to speak. Uh, you know, I just found when she brought that to me, I kind of sat and thought about all that, and I was like, "Yeah, not, it makes sense." You know what I mean? So, I guess that's where I'm weird in my thinking, and she doesn't quite get it sometimes. But <laughs> and, was, and 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 on certain things, I guarantee you, she probably gets things way better than 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 it is that you do, and that's why uh, it is you get. It's like the finger of God. I'm like, I don't. It might mean something. I don't. I don't know. But <laughs> did, and there's been plenty of things she pointed out. I've ran right over and was like, ah, I don't think there's anything there, and then come to find out, it's like this huge thing. Well, how many times have we all read the scriptures and and went, I never saw that there before. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like how many times have words popped out and you go, I I never knew it said that. <laughs> you read it like a hundred times. Every year, every year. That's kind of what through. By the way, I saw the Catholic. The, is it looked like Kathleen? Whenever you were reading about those colors, looks like that she had something on her mind there. Did you did Did you have something there? No, I didn't have. I found it very interesting. I know a couple of people that are colorblind, so it kind of the picture was right there. Oh wow! Excellent, excellent. Well, guys, do we have anything else uh, before it is that we wrap up, or? Yeah. <laughs> all right. We we went, we went, all right. Well, we went a little bit late today, which is actually kind of a good thing. We had some great discussion today, yes. and uh, it yeah. went really well, I thought. So, um, well, I guess we're just going to go and let everybody uh, – Wish everybody a uh, shalom bracha, then a peace and a blessing and a Shabbat shalom to everybody. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom and a good week ahead. Absolutely. Absolutely. See everybody next week. Next week. Bye-bye. So you want to learn Hebrew or Aramaic or maybe both? Make sure to check out HebrewandAramaic.com. All three of the instructors on the website have accredited Moray licenses to teach the languages that they teach on the website. You can take the lessons on your very own time, and they even have a Roku channel so you can learn from the comfort of your very own couch. With over 200 videos going step-by-step through the languages and all the various scripts and over 100 PDFs of exercises and quizzes, this is the most thorough set of lessons that you'll find anywhere on the languages of the Tanakh and the Brit Hadashah. So visit HebrewAndAramaic.com today and sign up for only $15 a month.